Get ready for a no BS approach to health and fitness. This is MBS Fitness Radio. Welcome back to MBS Fitness Radio. I am here with Brandon Riley. Brandon is a trainer at MBS. Say hi, bud. Hey, everybody. How's it going? All right. Very cool. So Brandon just uh, completed something really cool. It's called the Cinnamore uh, 25K. Uh, so why don't you kind of introduce what that is, your your history with it, and kind of talk about that experience. Um, cool. So Cinnamore is a trail race that's put on every February. Um, about 200, it, over 200 people typically do the 25K, which is 15 and a half miles. The race takes place in Mountain Home, Arkansas, which is kind of northern central, uh, northern central Arkansas. So you're hitting some of the Ozarks. There's about 2,500 feet of elevation gain, uh, and it's some pretty rocky terrain. Uh, the race is a lot of fun. If you're not at your computer on at uh, at one o'clock the day that registration opens, you're not likely to get into the race. Uh, it sells out within like three to five minutes. How many Dane? How many total people compete in it? Well, with, with the whole thing, because there's there's a twenty. Go through all the different options there are. So there's the twenty five k and then the fifty k. Okay. The twenty five k you run out roughly eight miles and then eight miles back. The fifty k folks take double the distance. Uh, so they run 25 kilometers out and then 25 K back. So they go further up into the mountains, have a lot more elevation gain and are grinding through it for a lot longer. So there's the 25 K and the 50 K. Yes. And then you said about 200 people do the 25 roughly sometimes over, over 300. I think one year I was registered as one of like 350 people. For, for the, the 25? For the 25K alone. Oh, dang, okay. So not near as many people do the 50K. Yeah. Um, I think this year the the 50K had 200 people signed up, but due to the horrific weather, only 90 people ran. So it was a challenge in itself just to get out there. Yeah, so, t- so I mean, obviously being in February, mm-hmm. you're not going to have the best weather. It's going to be cold, potentially right. wet. But this – February was even oh, it was worse. Gnarly. Um, what, so talk about kind of like the day, the experience of the day. So the week leading into the race, all that bad weather was coming in to Memphis, and it was even worse in Arkansas. So it was kind of dicey just wondering how the heck I was going to get out there the, day, the, roads. the day before and all that. Um the trail conditions were honestly not the, the worst I've seen. The first year I did it back in 2015 was the worst. Uh, the, it was significant patches of ice on the trail. This year, it was so well managed. I mean, they have a great team of people who get out there and work on the trail in the weeks leading up to it. Uh, so there was like some salt put down on sections of the trail uh, and that second wave of the weather had not hit yet. So. Gotcha, yeah. And it got into in the teens yet. Not yet. That was for race day. Okay, so <laughs> so a race, so yeah, okay, so you made it out there. Mm-hmm. And then what was race day like? So started it, for the first time, they did a, a wave start. Normally everybody starts at the exact same time. There's a 
bottleneck at certain sections in the first mile or two, and then it kind of levels out. Yeah. This year they did a wave start, which was awesome, um, not only because of COVID, just to get some distance between people, but because of the weather, we didn't want a big bottleneck at the creek. Uh, so wave start. Uh, I went in the second wave, and um, really didn't run into as many issues of having to pass people or get past. Uh, so trail conditions were really great considering the weather. Um, and so kind of what's what's some of the different terrain that you come across? You said a creek. So mm-hmm. you like a full immersion crossing a creek or like up to your it, shins? It changes your, every year. Okay. So that's the allure of Sillamore is you really don't know what you're going to get because of the weather and the time of year that it's at. I've ran it in 20-degree 20, 20 weather. I've run it in 70-degree weather. Um, so we, we start the race. You're running up a highway. Uh, and then you turn right and go down a very steep gravel road, and that's where the trail officially begins. Is about a mile in. Okay. So, and that's where the creek crossing is. And uh, so, with the first mile almost, you're having to cross exactly creek. right at the on mile one, you'll cross the creek, and everybody's always kind of sketched out by it. Some people are dreading it. I'm looking forward to it. It feels good. I'm ready to roll. How big, uh, like how, what's the width of the creek? This year, uh, the width, maybe 15 to 20 meters. Okay. Um, and it was up to mid-thigh okay. this year. So right at the pockets. How's um, that compared to other years? Uh, one, it was uh, it was on the high side. Okay. Kinda. Um one year, it was literally not even up to the shins. You could just run right through. Um, most of the time, it's about knee level, and you have to wade across. You can't really get through it quickly. You just have to watch your step and yeah. wade your way across. Is what's the um, what's the floor bed like? Is it is it rock rocky? It's, it's like rocky. Fat rocks. Yes. Like slippery fat Very rocks. Very slippery fat rocks. Um, there's generally. Um, Many people, that's a big watch spot. A lot of people will come to watch, um, cheer people on, on their way out and on their way back. Um, so you kind of have people up on a hilly section stand, saying, hey, stay left. Uh, it's a little shallower over here. Or okay. watch out for this rock type of thing. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Okay. So once you make it past the creek, what kind of other um, obstacles did you did you encounter? You're basically running along rock facings uh, and then just little switchbacks around the mountain. Um, if you saw the picture I posted earlier in the week, there's just icicles hanging from those rock facings that are like six feet tall. <laughs> and uh, so it's it's got some amazing scenery. Um, the... It, I'd say the rock facings, you get pretty close to them. You have to really watch your step or you might eat some concrete. Okay, um, wow. So, I mean, you're never, like, having to, like, scale the wall or anything yeah, yeah. like that. But, you know, if you're dodging a rock and looking down. You may run you into might, another may, bigger you, rock. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so it's definitely rocky. Uh, then you'll run into some patches that are just kind of flat, nice gravel. Um and then you're right back into up, down, up, down. Um, I'd say once you get past that fir- first five miles, um, 
then the the hills really start. Okay. Um. So, how many times have you done this? This was number four. Okay, number four. Mm-hmm. Um. What was your pacing like throughout this one? This one, um, unfortunately, was slower than I would have liked. I went into the race with a bit of a calf injury and just didn't have enough weeks to fully heal it. Uh, so I knew I was going to have to adjust my pace from the get-go. Um, and then when you factor in the cold and everything, it was a much slower pace than I anticipated going into it. Yeah. Uh, but I was keeping roughly a 12, 12 to 13-minute mile, depending on the elevation. Okay. And then on the flat sections, you know, if I saw my pace getting under a 10-minute mile, I knew, like, okay, back down a little bit. Yeah. You won't be able to maintain this uh, when it starts getting hilly. So. When you're doing a race like that, are you are you trying to just maintain like somewhat consistent pace, or are you kind of saying you're doing like a little bit of a walk run strategy? I feel good right here. I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of catch up, run a little bit faster here, knowing that this other um, obstacle is coming up that I'm gonna have to kind of walk through a little bit. Yeah, um, I'd say I kept a mostly consistent pace the entire race, but. Uh, I'm going to haul ass on the downhill. The downhill is kind of where you can make up some time, let gravity do some more work for you and give your legs a little bit of a rest. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was really a steady, a steady pace. Okay. Um, I don't like to do intervals on a long run where I'm like running fast for a certain time or distance and then back it down. I like to just stay moving. Um, at, Ideally, you know, about a about an eighty percent intensity. You know, um, for that kind of distance and terrain, it may be backed down to about seventy percent. But um, just keep one foot in front of the other and try not to walk. That's the goal. Because okay. if you walk, it's just hard to get oh, going it's again. So hard, yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to walk on some of the uphills, yeah. but um, ideally, you just keep that same cadence. Okay, so. How does training for a trail race like that compare to training for like a regular road race? Because you're talking 16 miles there, and a lot of times, you know, for um, half marathons, they've got, you know, like the, the, the couch to half kind of program, which is basically just adding an extra mile every week, mm-hmm. right? So how does, how does training for, um, for that Cinnamore race look? So – you got to respect the distance. You There's just really no way to get around um, putting that amount of distance in, in the mountains, especially if you live in, around here. We don't have that kind of terrain to just go practice on right. any given time. So um, strength work is a huge priority. Um, I'll do at least three days a week, typically more like four of strength work. Um, heavily involved with single leg work, uh, anything to strengthen your core and posture is going to help a ton with running. So on those, on those strength days, are you doing like a full body each day or are you doing like an upper lower or upper lower? Like one day, maybe more of a squat and, uh, upper body pull okay. another day, maybe more of a, like your deadlifting and then upper body push. So okay. it's, uh, I, Balanced it out very well. One day may just be a complete leg smoker. You got gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then, so you got three or four strength days. Mm-hmm. 
what are you doing for like your 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 trail time, your running time? So a an interval run, short short distance interval, um, you know, maybe accumulate several 200 to 400 meter runs. I did as much of the, my training as possible on trail. Okay. Um, Shelby farms. Yes. So, you know, if I was, if I was looking to get a little bit more speed and knew that I was aiming for, uh, consistent times, then I would do it on the exact same patch of trail. Or if I was doing it on the concrete, I would do it in the cove just because we know the meter marks there. Um, another day of training would be a little bit on the, you know, medium duration side, um, kind of a, we call it active recovery session where you're just moving through it, flowing through a set of movements for 30 minutes. And then on the weekend, long run. Okay. And what was the longest run you did building up to that? Um, only made it to a 10 mile run. Planned to make it to twelve. Is that a and, and that's a ten straight? It's yes. not a it's not a five and a five. It's a ten. Straight. Okay. Right now, I did a few weeks prior to that do. Uh, it ended up being three five Ks with okay. like a two or three hours in between them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but that was only that was only one particular training day. The longer runs were usually just one straight shot. Okay. Very cool. Um, okay. So how many weeks did you prep? Like, like when, when, how many weeks out do you say, okay, here's my beginning day for, for the Cinnamore training? Typically it's November 1st, the day of registration. So you're looking at about four months. Okay. So like 16 weeks, 15, Mm -hmm. 16 weeks. Right. Uh, this year I got started maybe a few weeks prior. Okay. Uh, cause it had been, a couple of years since I had done this race and I've had the, uh, the calf flare up a couple of times. So yeah. I knew that I needed to respect the distance and, uh, put some, accumulate some miles a little bit sooner. Very cool. What, um, I, I like to, I want to talk about recovery. So first let's kind of talk about the calf, kind of what, what the underlying injury was and then what you did to try to, you know, prevent it from flaring up as best you could could and then what happened when it did flare up how did you how did you address it let's see so the history of the calf i believe and i've gone to i've gone to a couple of really awesome pts one of them uh being clay jones at 901 pt I and mean, we've kind of discovered that um i jumped straight from being not a runner at all to loving 25Ks. Yeah. And uh, so my endurance, I feel like, kind of exceeded my calf's structural structural ability to take on the distance. Um, you know, I you can have an awesome one-mile time or 5K time and be able to hold your 5K pace for even longer. But at a certain point when you go out there and your long runs are eight plus miles and you're only used to running three, that accumulation catches up a ton. And I think that's part of the problem. Um, Another was that when I discovered CrossFit, um, I really, prior to that, had only been mostly doing upper body. Yeah. And uh, then you add in 
all the squats, which are amazing, obviously, but you add in the volume of box jumps, double unders, uh, and running. And eventually, if you don't have the strength, if you're not doing some solid calf raises and uh, things to isolate those calf muscles, they can they can atrophy and not be able to maintain that uh, that load. Yeah. So, what was the first calf injury? A pull. Like yeah, a, like a like a, a, a gnarly pull that knotted up pretty good. It's actually the strangest thing. I think the most vivid one that comes to mind is I was kicking up into a handstand into a handstand push up against the wall, and I actually heard a pop. Okay. Uh, so just that that yeah. quick movement, uh, kicking into the wall and just overstretching at the ankle, and boom. And I thought, whoa, that's not good. And it was while I was gearing up for training for the run that year. Okay. And how um, many years ago was that? That was probably three. That was probably before the year, the first one. So four years ago. Okay. All right. Okay. It was before, it was, it was before my second 25 K. Gotcha. Okay. That. Yep. Okay. Um, so then when it would flare up, like what would you do? Lots. Uh, first off, you know, the show must go on lots of assault biking. Okay. You can't really just, Oh, my legs hurt. I can't run. Or, you know, you gotta, you gotta adapt. So, uh, a lot of, um, biking, a lot of rowing, a lot of burpees. Uh, you know, I generally, I kind of would look at my training for the day and see what the distance involved was and plug in one of those other variables. So you're just trying to kind of get the, the overall body endurance built up. Yes. And if you can get like, have some lower body movement in there as well. Definitely. Very cool. Okay. Um, Cool. So one thing that, 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 that you really believe in and have been focused on lately is breathing. So kind of give, um, give kind of like a, a bird's eye view of like what that is, what it, what it encompasses and then like how, how you feel it benefits you. So, um, breathing, we, we take thousands of breaths every single day. Most of us don't even really think about it. Um, but it's a tool that we can use to either upregulate us, downregulate us, get us into a more relaxed state of mind, or even uh, kind of prime the pump before you work out or before you have to perform. Um, there's so many different protocols that can be used, uh, such as in between sets while you're working out, uh, in, uh, for, re- for rest. Uh, for meditation, and definitely uh, while you're in the middle of an effort. So go through some of those protocols that you've used and and kind of talk about the, the changes that you felt in your own performance uh, through them. So one that I use all the time is a system called Gears. Okay. Um, and this is just a great way of ramping you up intelligently i like to use the analogy of uh you know you wouldn't start your car up and go zero to 60 down the cove you you're gonna go in gear one then two then three before you hit the highway right so gear one is simply just nasal breathing in and out through the nose only uh you're gonna get a lot of breaths or very few breaths per minute uh so it can lower your respiratory rate 
Uh, and then after that, you'll kind of go in through the nose, out through the mouth. Um, we can ramp that up if needed, uh, if you're in the middle of an effort. Um, and the goal is really just to get people in the lower gears for as long as possible. Um, one way you can significantly improve your endurance is just to try to na- nasal breathe through your warm-ups. Yeah. Just start with your warm-up only. And if you get to where you're having to inhale through your mouth, you're going a little hard. Yeah. And it may feel very limited for those first couple of weeks. Uh, but then with practice, uh, you go back to doing a more traditional breathing pattern and your endurance has just increased significantly. Um, another one, uh, and you've used this one yourself, uh, is the, the kind of intro workout breathing. So like a five, seven, nine protocol where you, when you're really huffing and puffing, when you finish a set, you may need to take five deep breaths in through your mouth, out through your mouth. <sighs> really just move that air get that uh carbon dioxide out yeah and um and then we can begin to slow it down with seven breaths in through the nose out through the mouth and then when that once you've slowed it down enough you can yeah still the same idea like shifting gears you're just kind of um setting a a rep scheme to it and kind of like letting those RPMs come down as you shift those gears down. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think the biggest or several benefits that I've seen from kind of like being aware of breathing and focusing in on it is one in the middle of workouts, like using it as a set rest. So yes. instead of just, if you're, if you're doing like, especially a CrossFit workout um, that's pushing you instead of, you know, putting a bar down or taking a little break and just, having no goal during that break instead say, I'm going to give myself three breaths and then I'm going to get back at it. And it, it's a bit of a timing right. benefit there um, and keeps you from staying out too long. But it also gives you a goal during that uh, break, which is to recover, right? Recover as best you can and get back into it. And then for um, like one thing I've done for, with my athletes is really try to make them focus on breathing in between bouts of high output mm-hmm. because especially like for football players, if they're in a two minute drill and they're going all out a lot of times in the, in those, those 30 seconds in between they're you know, hands on their hips are just sit, sitting there kind of sucking wind and, uh, and it can be a mental, um, it can be mentally downgrading, because you're sitting there just like thinking about how tired you are versus saying, hey, during this period, take control, recover. And it's crazy that in the 30 minutes, the difference between just sitting there and and breathing um, sporadically versus having a focused uh, breath um, uh, protocol, the difference it can make is like night and day. They They feel recovered, but even more so than that, like, they have it builds a level of confidence, and they can get themselves back into a mental state where they can actually like process what's going on. Absolutely. So if you're just sitting there thinking about how tired you you are, you can't think about the play that that was just called, or or what uh, the defense is doing, what the offensive do, is is doing, or what's kind of going on around you. You're just thinking about how tired you are. Right. That's been a huge benefit I've seen, like 
personally and then also with some of my clients with like putting in breathing. Yeah. I love watching that shift, you know, when somebody is huffing and puffing and then I say, all right, hey, let's get your heart rate down. Take five deep breaths in and out your mouth. And then by the time they get to that in through the nose, out through the mouth, you've already seen a difference on their face and their breathing patterns. And they're like, okay, all right, this stuff has, this stuff has validity to it. Like, okay. Yeah. Wow. I, I feel better now. Yeah. Um, so how did you kind of apply some of that breathing to your training for Sillamore and then also on the day of the race? Yeah. So deeply tied in. Um, so as far as preparing for the race, um, a lot of my runs, you know, I would say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'd say be maybe a set distance and not allow yourself to go over gear three, which is, and so if I ever, out the mouth right yeah. and if i ever felt myself having to breathe any deeper than that then i could back it down a little bit uh on race day i let myself kind of uh, go into a, de- a further gear because of the elevation yeah um but really i tried to not get any any past um <sighs> That little double little, inhale. Little power breath. Yeah, that double inhale makes a huge difference because you can just get a little bit more air in, and when it's cold outside, it's uh, it's hard to take one deep inhale. Yeah. Yeah, without getting all snotty. Right. So. What um, – did you ever kind of pay attention to, like, heart rate? So I mean, just, when you're sitting there trying to decide, like, what my gear is, are you – are you using a heart rate monitor and using the breath? Or did you just kind of like do away with the heart rate monitor and say, I'm just going to go full bore breath here? Yeah, really just full bore breath. Okay. Um, because I knew that the the elevation would jack my heart rate up yeah. significantly. Uh, so I just uh, would use the terrain for kind of that built-in rest. Okay. You know, if there was, if there was a steep hill... I'm going to, you know, walk it mostly yeah. and then run when it's flat, really run when it's downhill, um, and then use the breath in between that. Very cool. What um, what are some practical takeaways that the people listening to this podcast um, can have? Like, what would you tell them as far as breathing? Like, what's a protocol that they can start implementing tomorrow? Uh, there's one you can do while listening to this. Uh, it's called box breathing. And uh, just picture a box. And at the top, you have a breath hold. And on, on the sides of the box, you have an inhale and an exhale. So we can start with our, our inhale for, let's just call it three seconds. Um, inhale for three. Hold for three. Exhale for three. And then hold for another three. Yeah. And you're just trying to kind of build that box up, like three, four, five, six. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, when I do box breathing, I get to a point where after the exhale, the hold's the hardest part. So yes. like I can always do the I, – I can expand the inhale, expand the hold of the inhale, mm-hmm. you know, slow down the exhale. It's that hold after the exhale that that, that to me is always the one I'm like, I want to take a breath. Right. right. 
what um, is that the same for you, or do you find that the same with other people? Or oh yeah, do other people have different areas that are more difficult. Oh, that's com- that's that one's generally common. The the hold on the inhale or the exhale, okay. because if you take a deep, a big old breath into your chest, you know it, it's in a, that tense position, right? Yeah, but if you breathe it into your belly, it's easier to hold it. The exhale, uh, you know, you got to think about deflating a balloon. Yeah, you know, if you if you just then yeah, it's going to be hard to hold, hold. But if you, yeah, take it slow, then it's easier to maintain that pressure in your diaphragm and yeah. maintain the hold. Well, I mean, and what about the, the hold after the exhale? You've exhaled all the, the, the air out of your lungs. Like what about that? Oh, one? that one. Yeah. That one's a, that one's a grind. That's the hard that, one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that's a, you know, you got to improve your CO2 tolerance. Yeah. And there's a, there's a test that can be done uh, on that where you take like 20 <laughs> deep, uh, full breaths and then exhale all your air and see how long you can hold it. Gotcha. It's a great test to do maybe once a week just to see um, if you're mentally able to hold that exhale a little bit longer or blow your air out for a longer period of time. Okay. And even if it's just a one second improvement each week, that's great. Yeah, well, in, in, during that whole one second seems like a like an eternity. Absolutely. Um, okay, so box breathing, where you're where you're kind of building up um, that box, mm-hmm. going from three seconds to four seconds to five, and just kind of taking it to whatever you can take it to. I mean, I th- I don't I don't think there's really not infinite infinity, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you need longer than ten. Yeah, second box, uh, ten second box. Yeah. Um, and then how many repetitions of the box would you kind of suggest someone doing? And, and, and what is, what is that good for? So the, it could be used as a kind of a, a form of meditation mm-hmm. or something that you do before an important meeting, just to let your mind get more present and focused. Uh, so setting a timer for three to five minutes is plenty. Um, and I mean, it, it'd be very effective to do a 20 minute meditation session okay. or some breath work. You can do it in the sauna. I like to get in the sauna and do, uh, you know, 20 minutes of either box breathing or cadence breathing. Cadence breathing is simply whatever your inhale is, double the exhale. Okay. So three second inhales, six second exhale. Okay. So a great way to kind of, um, Put your body back into like a parasympathetic state, relax, be a little exactly. bit more present. If you're dealing with anxiety or just stress in any way, shape, or form, right. um, kind of like relax yourself back down, con- take control of your breathing. Um, and the box breathing protocol is like a great way to just introduce that. Anyone can do it. Um, you're just, like I said, building that box around. Mm hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's really how I uh, I discovered the the breathing is. Uh, I mean, I got down on a on a, on a rabbit hole with with training and everything. But when I realized the uh, the impact that it can have on decreasing anxiety, and you know, ha- using it as a form of meditation, I, I thought, okay, yeah. great, even better. Yeah, I think um, I saw one time. You know, if you go to like the hierarchy of needs. Mm. Yep. Breathing is the one that has the shortest time frame that you can survive without doing it correctly. Exactly. <laughs> so, or not having it, right? So yeah. your breath is, is that important. If it's uh, if you take it away, you're dead in you know three to five minutes. 
Um, I like to tell people, uh, a fr- friend of mine came up with this thing called the rule of threes. You know, we can go three decades without training. It's not recommended, but you'll, you'll still be alive. Yeah. You can go three weeks without food, uh, three days without sleep or water. Yeah. And only three minutes without breathing. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. So w- what's when you're trying to structure your importance or yeah. where to, where to spend some time. Right. And you can take it a not one level further and say, we don't, we can't even go three seconds without thinking. So yeah. your mindset, yeah, uh, which is so closely tied to breathing. Yeah. Uh, so very cool. Yeah. Well, awesome. Brandon, man, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, any final words? Um, I would encourage anyone, whether it's, uh, whether, whether it's an endurance, whether it's a run or any goal that you have set a competition, power lift, power lifting meet, whatever it may be. Um, just create momentum, you know, having going and doing one race or one competition. Yeah. It's a great end goal, but you got to keep that momentum going, you know, be consistent on your, on your journey and, um, know your, uh, know your abilities and where you fall. And then you can adjust your pace and your plan accordingly. And if, if you, if anyone's looking to do any, uh, any races or especially on trail, I'm, I'm all for it. Awesome, man. Well, great stuff. That was a great, um, podcast and we'll talk to y'all soon. Bye-bye. See you guys. Thank you for listening to NBS Fitness Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, follow us on social media, and check out our website at www.nbsfitness.net. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more NBS Fitness Radio.